0: Today, uh, we're continuing on in the idea of getting ready, getting ready to be God's people, a people that he says, this is my own. These these guys represent me. These guys show for me. And and we talked about the challenge of removing the obstacles of that being true. Uh, I was talking to somebody this week, we were talking about how many churches there are in the, in the greater area here. Uh, how many, you know, thousands and thousands of people are, are churchgoers in this area. And yet I can go for weeks or months and not knowingly brush up against God's people. I mean, for a, a people that by their, uh, by their design, by their redemption, they should stand out. We are pretty disguised. We are pretty covert. We, we blend in with the, with the other people really, really well. And so the idea of being ready is being ready to be a people that rightly represents God in a way that the world is affected And as we've reflected on the world and, and on the church itself, part of our struggle with being of spirit people is we are a rule people. We are rights and a rules people. And rights and rules are important for, for the two-year-old who has toys and, a, and a, a nephew comes over and they pick up one of the toys that is not being played with and immediately The one who owns the toy says, No, that's mine. That's mine. That's my toy. Is that true? That is true. Should they be able to dictate how that toy is used and when? By the way, we think, yes. They are only doing what their parents do, what their pastors do. It's my toy. My car, my boat, my house. But what do parents most of the time do? Well, you weren't playing with that, so why don't you let them play with that? What are parents trying to do? They're trying to override the rule with something different, something very foreign, something that makes that child uncomfortable. Well, let them play with it. You weren't playing with it. Be, be willing to share your toys. Share. It's my toy. I decide. It's my toy. You see, they really understand the rules at that age. It's my toy. We still understand the rules. And our rights and the rules are really important to us, but they are also the big part of what's killing us, a big part of why we cannot be the people of God in the world. We looked at Titus. We're not going to read this whole verse, but Titus 2, 1 through 11, and it really describes this idea that Jesus Christ died for us. He set us free. He released us and, and rescued us from wickedness. He gave us his own purity. Why? so that he could have a people of his very own, a people who did not look like the two-year-old, a people who could rightly and from their heart sacrifice for another human being, who could do something that was unfair toward themselves and not resent it the rest of their life. Here's kind of the five pieces we put together under the heading, He Will Do the Work, and it really begins with that. He does the work. This is not something that humans can do. It's something that humans can experience through God, but it's not something a human can do. Here's how I would do it if I were human, which I am. I would make a rule that says I'm going to act like God. And then I would get upset with myself if I failed at that rule because this is my new standard for living. I am going to love everybody. And when I don't, I need to be penalized and punished because I am failing on the rule. So Christians have this thing that they fix it with. It's called forgiveness. I don't love you. You annoy me and make my life difficult. God, forgive me. Thank you. Is everything okay? Do I love you? No, I'm forgiven. Do I have to love you. You know, it's ideal. But what I am right now is forgiven. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to want to love you. And God's going to have to get me there. Is that a true statement? Yes, it is. It's absolutely a true statement. So now it's off of my burner. I don't like you. I don't want to be around you. I'm living in forgiveness until God miraculously changes things. I think that's where many believers live. They're stuck. Is that all there is? Do we have no active role? God says he will do the work. Number two, you will need to surrender to his will. It will need to become important to you to love that person. That will need to become important to you. That will be a place that God wants to actively work in your life. That's the place that God wants to be at work. So maybe, maybe the reality is it has shifted and we're no longer working on the relationship. God is working on your heart. And he wants to do changing and healing in your heart so that you could love such a person. He will do the work. We have to surrender to what he's doing, not just stay who we are and expect him to override our will. Number three, you're going to have to act upon that trust. You're going to have to trust that Jesus wants to change you to be like him. And you're going to have to move in that direction with him instead of resisting him. You're going to have to surrender. You're going to have to act upon the trust you have. You will need the fellowship of other believers. This is an interesting road. It's an interesting road to say, I am going to be Christ-like. It is a road that was designed to walk together. It's a road that, that when I'm... Uh, at my church, and I don't like my church, my church doesn't like me, or all of the above, I can leave and go find another church. And then I can leave and go find another church. And that way I'm always in harmony with my church. My church is always in harmony with me. because no, And if it really gets acute, if it's a problem, then I'll, I'll make my own church. We need others. I need people to encourage me to be godly. When I'm saying and doing things that aren't godly, I need people to help me. Now, I was just in the office, and uh, I'm, I'm talking to our worship leader. And, uh, and as I'm talking to him, I open this bottle of Dayquil, and I take a big swig, and I put it back down. He's looking at me like, are, are you all right? Kind of that look like, how many bottles have you had this morning? It probably looked really bad, and it was kind of out of the side of my mouth like this, because I was trying to pay attention to our conversation. Now, that was my first swig. I don't have a cough medicine issue, but I'm glad he asked. I'm glad he asked. Even though he was kind of kidding, it left room to be a real question also. I need people to encourage me to do well. The language we used last week was God has made it so we can be superhuman, not respond the way humans respond, but the way he would respond. And we need to encourage one another in that change, that transformation. I, I want to be superhuman. I was talking with people all week this week who were here, and they were talking about being superhuman and, wow, well, I'm not being very superhuman right now, and, you know, you need to be superhuman on that. It was really kind of nice. There was this level of energy pushing towards something that was possible in Jesus. And then the last thing is surrendering our individuality. We are more than an individual. We are the people of God. And then choosing our loyalty. Loyalty. in Matthew 6, 24, 25, really talks about this challenge. You will have a loyalty challenge, and it will be God and money. Now, money allows you to be in charge. Money allows you to decide. Following God allows God to decide. If I have enough money, I can make all my decisions. doesn't matter how bad or good they are. If it's a really bad decision, I'll put more money at it and change the decision. I can, I can keep the ball in play pretty much forever. We began to see in some of these scriptures as we looked last week how deep God is digging when he calls for you to be his people. When he says in verse 25, I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear. That's, that's going deep. That's saying, I mean, we think we have the right to worry about the basics. You hear that word, right? We have the right to worry about the basics. And God says, no, you don't. To worry about the basics is to worry, and I'm calling you out of that life. You see how different it is? See, it sounds noble to worry about the basics. I'm not saying we don't have to deal with it. I'm not saying it's not there. I'm saying God is representing a new way of living that we a little bit ignore because it is difficult to even think about it. It's difficult to think about how that would even work. So we don't. And we remain a rules based people which with marginal capability to be God's people. In 1 Corinthians chapter three, we see Paul describe it as being mere human. You're just human. You have the Spirit of God. You have the resurrection, cr- resurrected Christ. You have died to your sin. You have a new life in God. You have eternity. You have the power of the Spirit. You have God looking over you. He is preparing a table before you, before your enemies. But you're acting like none of that has happened. You're acting, you're still behaving like you're fending for yourself. You're still fighting your own battles. You're still pulling on your rights. You're still judging other people. You're still doing all this stuff that has nothing to do with salvation, it has nothing to do with the redemption God has given. You're acting like you're just human. And then finally, we looked at how deep it continues to grow. God is saying, Here's an idea. If you want to look like me, then repay evil with a blessing. I title it Thriving in Injustice. Because what God's people can do is thrive in injustice, we can shine in injustice, we can look stellar. I mean, if everything is smooth and green and perfect, we have very little ability to shine. Put us in a great big bowl of injustice, and wow, we can light it up. All we have to do is repay evil with a real, genuine, sincere blessing. You have to forget about your rights. You have to forget about the rules. And you have to move into being superhuman. Then we looked at continuing to thrive in injustice, suffering for doing good. That's one of my favorites. You know, do something good and suffer under that. Be judged under that, be abused under that. Verse 21 For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering just as Christ suffered for you. It goes on to say, what what credit is it to suffer when you did bad? You really get credit. There's a great reward. And I think we just misunderstand that. When God says, if you suffer for doing good, you cannot imagine what I'm doing for you up here. You cannot imagine how you're cashing in. In that moment, you know, IRAs and and investing some money and getting a great deal on something, we understand that language. And God is using that language. He's saying, You want to see investment? Take one for my team. You see how I can pay, you see how I can produce. The Spirit will guide the moment. In Galatians 5, what it really says is if you walk in the Spirit, if you follow the Spirit, if you allow the Spirit to lead you, if the Spirit has say-so in the moment, you will never carry out the acts of the flesh. That's a powerful promise, don't you think? If I keep being sensitive to the Spirit, I keep letting the Spirit bring little corrections along the way, I will never, ever, not once screw it up. That's a pretty big promise. That's a big deal. That's worth stopping in the moment and giving the Spirit an opportunity to say, wow, Bill, let's think this through. I'm going to think and you follow through. What the Spirit promises is what I will produce with the decisions I make are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, meekness, self-control. All these things, you will do well. But it will take you allowing me in the moment to shine. Humanity is eye concentric We are concentric with us in the middle. Everything else revolves around us. The spirit is God-concentric. I shared an example of that. And he will put other people in to receive that blessing. Humanity always monitors our position compared to those around us. Humanity always, I measure where I am. Wow, other pastors are doing this. Wow, other people are doing this. Oh, man, other people have this. The spirit monitors God and what he's doing with other people in his purpose and will. That's the landscape for the superhuman. That's the landscape for the, for the people that God calls his own. I want to introduce today a spiritual side of that. That's kind of been an action-oriented side. You're moving in the action or the will of the spirit. But let's look at Matthew 5. 43 through 47, it does not really get better for us, folks. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Now, it's quoting a law from the Old Testament, from the book of Leviticus. You have heard this law. You have heard this rule. You have heard this act of justice. You have been given this act of justice and right and rule, but I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, see what it says, in that way, you will be acting as true children of your father in heaven. In that way, you will be acting superhuman. In that way, you will be acting like a people that God calls his own. You see, in that way, we are different. The other way showed you how to be human. This one shows you how to be superhuman. It shows you how to be the people of God. It shows you a life that does this. This life, where you love your enemies, you pray for those who persecute you forever, attaches you to God in the moment, because you can't do that. You can't just love your enemies. You can't say, oh, I'm going to love my enemy. Well, wait till you really get one. I mean, I'm talking about a bad one. Wait till you get a bad enemy and see how easy it is to make that statement. I pe- I, I meet with people who go through horrific experiences. You know, I can't just say to them, well, you need to love your enemy. Two reasons. One, they might hit me. I have become part of the enemy. But the biggest thing is, I think in that moment, they need to be led, not told. That's the difference. You see how God is calling a people to be different, not just to be saved? He's calling us to be superhuman. He's calling us to be something that we are not by ourselves. He's forever tying us to the spirit in the moment. And we resist that. And here's how we resist that. We would rather have a rule. We'd rather have a rule. Then we can go back to our old pattern. I have a rule. I made the rule. I'm a good person. I fail the rule. I get forgiveness. That's what Christians are. We we know the rule. We make the rule. When we fail the rule, we get forgiveness. There you go. That's Christianity. That's not Christianity. That's not it. That is our version. Christianity is, God says, here's the standard. It looks exactly like me. That's the standard. That's who you're supposed to be. The Spirit will lead you and help you do that. You're going to have to surrender all the other stuff that you thought was right, everything else. You've got to surrender all that stuff and follow him. You'll be amazing. Your classmates will be amazed. Your teachers will be amazed. Your friends and family will be amazed. Your addictions will lose their power. Your inner vows will be challenged and defeated. Your biases, your racistness, your bigotry, your history, your experience, all those things are going to be turned upside down as God reveals who you can be under the power and authority of his spirit. Jesus shows us how different it is, and he shows us the law gives way. To the spirit of love. Then he goes on after he says this, he says, I want you to understand, for he gives, to my God, sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. You see how he's making this transition? I want you to be this way, and I want you to understand, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm loving the just and the unjust. I'm providing for the just and the unjust. I'm bringing protection for the just and the unjust. I am not discriminating. That's a good news story and a bad news story for you. What that says is you don't really get a special deal on rain if you're a believer. That means you don't have this little in with God where, you know, he's going to slip you a few extra bucks because you know him. He says, walk out want, walk out need, walk out things, bring them to me. Make it about you and I. And then he goes on. Oh, no, it's kind of repeating. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there? I don't, you know, if I love those who love me, what? God is saying there's no reward in that. What is he talking about? It's easy to love people who love me. I love them. They love me. It's like the, you know, the box with the puppies in it. You know, it's great. But he says, you're not producing any fruit there. Even the corrupt tax collectors do that much. Even the mere humans do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? How are you not just mere humans? Do you hear this language? This is Jesus speaking. You see how little room there is just to be a mere human? I mean, the scripture is full of this language for you and I. Even the pagans do that. But you are to be perfect. You want a standard? There it is. Even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, I had a question last week after the service. I've thought about the question all week. I love the question because I think it is the question. I think it's the question. Question was, so am I to be a doormat for everyone around me? That's a great question. I mean, isn't that what you're saying, Bill? Just take it from everybody and love them anyway and let them abuse me and run over me and use me. Isn't that a great question? I get this person an answer. I, I think they appreciated the answer. I'm not sure they liked the answer. But here's the answer to the question. Here's what you're asking for. I need a rule. I need a law. I need a rule of where I can stop it. You know, how far do I have to go? Where is it where it shifts over from being godly to being abused? Isn't that a great question? I think it's relevant. I think it's practical. I think it's important. Now I'll give you my answer. You're asking for a rule. You're asking for the law. That's how it works. That's what we do. But here's what God would say. Why don't you depend on the spirit in the moment to tell you what to do? Because when you look at these examples, all of them look like abuse. Someone forces you to give them a shirt, give them your coat. Someone forces you to go a mile, go two miles. It all sounds very abusive. And it is abusive unless God is in it. You see the difference? If God is in it, it's not abusive. If God is directing you, he might have you say no a lot earlier than you normally would. He might have you say no at the very beginning. Can I? No. I didn't even finish. You don't have to. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm tracking with the Spirit right now, and i got a big no for you, whatever you're saying. But thank you. I love you. What's up? What's next? But the scripture uses the language, how much do I forgive? 70 times 7 is pretty abusive, don't you think? I mean, there's something just not right about that. Will you forgive me again? Yes. Next day, will you forgive me again? Yes. Next day, will you forgive me again? Yes. That's that, you know, if you keep doing the same thing, looking for something different that's supposed to be you're an idiot. Insane. well, maybe you're just following God. When you go around Jericho once, nothing, twice, nothing, three times, nothing, seven times, the whole thing falls apart. You see, God decides. And he'll decide in that moment. He'll share that with you. God, do I say yes on this? I wouldn't. Then I'm not going to say yes. And you do it with completely clear conscience. I don't have to feel guilty. No. You're not going to do that for me? No, I don't think so. Really? Yeah, really. Why? I just don't think I'm supposed to do that. It's only $50. Well, it's really not the money. It's not about the money. I just don't think I'm supposed to do it. That's how we're supposed to be living. That's how we can get by Without having a rule for everything, is the Spirit will lead you in the moment. What about having good boundaries? What are boundaries? They're rules. They're rules. That's what boundaries are. We have a dozen books over there on boundaries making them spiritual. And I probably have about half a dozen people in here that are about ready to get up and challenge me. But I'm really great with that. Um, Here's the way I would say it. I think boundaries are a great tool if you're a person that is terrible at setting boundaries, you're terrible at saying no or yes, you're terrible at something, then you might need boundaries to get you going in the right direction. You, need, you might need some boundaries that help you develop a confidence that you can say no to somebody you haven't been able to say no to. I think boundaries can be very helpful. But I think boundaries are a means to get somewhere different. That's all they are. Boundaries are for those of us who are needing to build up our spiritual confidence in a situation. So if I'm counseling someone, I say, you know, you need some boundaries. Here's what I'm saying. Wow, you don't have any insight from the Spirit at all on this, or you're not willing to receive it. So let's get you a mechanical boundary that's going to help you. It's going to help you get some wins. You need some wins. People who don't have boundaries often need some wins, you know. We need a no under our belt. We need a yes under our belt. We need something that begins to give us that confidence that I can walk with Jesus, and I can say yes when I need to, And I could say no when I need to. And I will not be guilted in or out of a wrong or right decision. But we don't necessarily start at that point. So boundaries can be a great tool. But boundaries are not the spirit. They are not the spirit of God. They are a rule that can produce very good results for you. So how does this work? In Romans 7, we see this. Now, dear brothers and sisters, you who are familiar with the law, don't you know that the law applies only while a person is living? Isn't that an interesting way to start this chapter? All right, you, you people that know the law, you really understand. I know you've got a grip on this, that it only applies to people who are alive. I think we all can agree on that. We never go out to the cemetery and say, all of you over here are not tithing. All of you over here, pick it up. We, we really don't do that very often. Unless you've had too much cough medicine, you might do something like that. But the point is an important one, because it, it's determining where your horsepower really comes from. We're going to skip an example they give there. We're going to move to verse 4. So, dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. And now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. As a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. When you were controlled by the old nature, sinful desires were at work within us. The law aroused these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds resulting in death. Ah, but you're dead now. It can now produce no more. But you now have been released from the law, for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Here's the keys. Now we can serve God. Not in the old way. Not using rules and laws to direct our following God. When I first became a Christian, I went to a church that had a real interesting mixture of laws and other things. And so often in discipleship, people use laws. And And the law was, one of the laws I got was no Bible, no breakfast. Now, the point was to get you to read your Bible every day. But all it did is make me skip breakfast when I didn't have time to read the Bible. It didn't do anything for my spirituality. You know what it did? It gave me guilt, and I felt like I had to not eat breakfast because I didn't deserve the breakfast because I did not read my Bible. That's a rule. You see, did it produce the spirit of what was intended? No. No, it didn't. I mean, I was probably 10 years getting over that. I'd eat something in the morning. I'd feel guilty because I hadn't read the Bible. Or then you do this. Go read, you know, like a half a verse. Okay, I read the Bible. You see, what is that? That's the law. That's what the law looks like. All right, i got to read the Bible. For God to love the world, blah, blah, blah. You know, and then I say, you know what? I don't have to read the Bible. I know a few verses. I can just say one of those verses. There you go. Now I can eat a feast. I mean, you know, when I read the Bible, I'm usually not saying it out loud, so I don't even have to say the verse. I can just think about the verse. That's the same as reading it. Bam! Go to Denny's. Think about <laughs> you see, this is what the law does. It's what we do. We can laugh about it, but it, it kind of describes us more than we might like. Now we can serve God not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, of reading the Bible so I can eat breakfast, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. The new way of walking in every moment in the reality and in the presence of the Spirit. Sherry is going to read for us. This is, uh, I think it's out of the message, but it's Romans 7. It's a little further down, 17 through 25.
1: Uh, But I need something more. For if I know the law but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyways. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my ropes. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions, where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different.
0: Thank you. I asked her to read that this morning, and she said, you know, you've had me read this before. Like, you know, I'm designing this around her. Maybe. Anyway. You ever experienced that? There's that tension. I, I can will it, but I can't necessarily do it. The, the answer is, we died to the law. And we need to allow the spirit to take its place in us, to produce in us. The answer is we keep going back to the law. That's how I know I'm guilty. That's how I can feel guilty. Because I keep going back to the law. Why? Because the law can also make me feel good, can't it? When I pull it off, wow, I've been to church on time like four Weekends in a row. I'm knocking it out of the park. Feel good about me. That's the law. See? Four. On time. Four. I'm performing. I got the mojo going. The law is tricky. The law shows up. Entitling you and obligating you constantly all the time. Condemning you and affirming you. Do you know that God doesn't do that? How can it work for you? All right, number one, rules are for the immature. Rules are for those who are just learning. If somebody says, Bill, is killing someone a sin? Is murder a sin? Yes. Be good for you to know that. Is lying a sin? Yes, it's a sin. These are opposite the character of God. It's good for people to know those rules. It's good for them to understand them. But it also is equally important, if not more so important, than they understand that they understand these rules will be upheld in our soul by God Himself. You see, the spiritual peace, pray for those who persecute you. See how that, that goes beyond. I mean, think about this. There's somebody that hates you, and now God says, here's how we're going to jack the enemy, Bill. We're going to use the object of their hate to intercede. Yes, this will be good. This will jack with all of the heavenlies. This is what we're going to do. They really hate you. I want you to intercede for them. I want you to be before me. Calling out their name for me, interceding. We're mocking the enemies of the universe by doing this. We are tilting the entire globe with this activity. There will be rewards for everybody in heaven when we pull this off. See, we almost look at it as punishment. Pray for my enemy. Lord, make them understand how awful they are. That's not praying for your enemy. That's praying for you. Lord, give them what they deserve in love. No, pray for them. Intercede for them. Call down blessing upon them. Break the power of deception for them that they That the windows of heaven would open and they would be amazed and blessed beyond measure. And then, when God does it, then you can't get jealous and mad and angry. I just got this job making $280,000 a year. You're welcome. I'm still looking for a job. So, rules are for the immature, boundaries have their limits. They have their limits on what they can produce. Boundaries can get us going, but they can't make you superhuman. At the end, if you try to replace the Spirit with boundaries, then you will be bound. The Spirit says, I call the shot. And we might go an extra mile. We might go an extra 10 miles. We might go minus three miles. You leave that up to me. Our thought life and our attitudes become the battleground of the spirit world. This is where the battle is happening. I'll give you an example. Last night, very tired. Had a cold, didn't feel well, coming in our, our new back door, our old new back door. I have a shower rod. It's not, you know, completely out there. It's kind of retracted like this. Uh, Melinda does not really know about this because it happened kind of internal. And uh, so I'm open the door. I'm trying to go through the door. I'm carrying this other stuff. I've got this shower rod. And I'm trying to be careful with our new paint, our new walls. So I hit the door with the back, and I go this way, and I hit the other side of the door. So I step in and try to clear the door, I hit the wall. And then when I come around this way, I hit the other wall. All right. So here's where I went. I I have this thought. I'm going to drop these bags. I'm going to take this rod I'm a whale wail on all these walls, on the ceiling, on the floor. I'm going to say, all right, you want to hit everything on the planet, let's do it. You know, wah, 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 just like a lightsaber. Oh, there was a force with me, all right. And in that moment, the Spirit captured me. And in the moment, I just felt this word of, all right, I want you to stop. And I want you to just pray for a second. Just talk to me. All right. I'm just being honest. So if you want to replace me as pastor, like after this, it's okay. So. In this moment, I I resisted that. I felt like I had some rights. You hear that? I had some rights, because it's not a human. It's a shower rod. I should be able to wail on the shower rod, right? I mean, come on. This is a shower rod. It's an inanimate object. I have no moral uh, compulsion to save the shower rod or love the shower rod. And the Lord quickened me and said, It's not about the shower rod. <laughs> it's about you. It's about your attitude. It's about how easily you're pushed over the edge because the shower rod touched the wall and the door. This is big, Bill. This is where all failures begin. Failures don't begin in Columbine. They begin going through the back door with the shower rod. You see, if I never act on that shower rod, you see, the damage was done. I I fed on that. Wasn't about the walls, wasn't about the shower rod. It was about me. It was about my attitudes. It was about being pulled off point. Because I got frustrated in that moment. You know, I have all those things. I'm tired. It's getting late. I have a lot of things still to do. I'm thinking about my sermon. It's interesting how God adds stuff to your sermon. Now, see, if I'd have wailed all over the wall and everything, then I'd have to tell you that. And that would not be cool. I'd be inviting you over to help me repaint. <clears throat> and then you could see if God really wanted you to do that or if you felt like God said, you need to paint that yourself, Bill, in the name of Jesus in love. So, our attitude matters. So when somebody is annoying me, And I feel like the Spirit is trying to put the brakes on me and say, stop and just pray for them. Stop and love them. I'm going to give you a couple of examples. All right, Lord, help me love them. Lord, how do you love them? So, what's my attitude? Am I in a, an attitude of receiving? Or is this really an attitude of protest? I'm saying the right words. That would be the law. I'm fulfilling the rule in the moment. All right, God, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Help me love them. How do you love them? Blah, blah, blah. All right, mm-hmm. now it's your job. If you don't do it, I can't do it. Kill them all. So we we have to take seriously the spirit's work in the moment it's critical because in that moment we're checking in mere human i'm just angry and often rightfully so in that moment will that event sign off as human or will i give the spirit a chance to make a change. So if I say, God, thank you for stopping me. Thank you for putting the brakes on. How do you love him? Tell me about that. Tell me how you do it. I need to know. And I'm grateful you do know how to do it. And I'm grateful that you love him dearly. And I'm grateful now it's my turn to love like you. Now, what's that attitude? It's teachable, isn't it? The other one, God just has to wait out because that attitude is not, it's just following rules. Take seriously your thought life, take seriously your attitudes. And no longer can you, I'm just because I'm telling you, no longer can you rely on using rules in your attitudes and thoughts to say you can check it off the list. What allows you to check it off the list is when your heart and your mind and your attitudes experienced change. When we went from being mere human to superhuman. We settled in and we took three or four minutes and we let God help us. Very different. Practice, practice, practice. You know, you have one of those experiences, five, six, seven, eight, for some of you, 500 times a day, and you will find at the end of the day, you will felt you have done a lot of work. And you will know God has been working and changing you. If you let the Spirit work in the moment, He will make your life different. We feel like we can't change, and that's a true statement. But what we can do is stop and let God do work. That we can do. And the final thing is joining others. We are in this together, and my heart's desire is we would all so dearly and so much pursue a life in the Spirit. Where he's leading, he's directing, he's guiding, he's arresting our falls, our, he's helping us be different and new. Those are superhuman people. And I believe that most of the world is waiting for God's people to show themselves. I have a friend who was in uh, Ankara, Turkey, he's Turk. And he said, when he came to Christ, he came to Christ through a dream. He said, I knew there were missionaries in my country. I knew there were Christians. But they're like the CIA. They're so covert you can't find one if you need one. That kind of might be true here too. Where would you go to find a Christian who follows the Spirit? Where would you find a superhuman? Where would you go find one just to connect with one and say, I want to be around you some. I want to know how you do this. I want to walk with you. That's the church God is pursuing. He is no longer interested in your rules or mine.